Well, good morning to each of you. It's good to be with you. It's an honor, a treat to be able to preach God's Word this Sunday morning prior to Christmas. Uh, so we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 7 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there and just hold your place. But that's where we're planning to be. Here's my takeaway that I'll give you from the very outset. And it's this. At Christmas, we're reminded that God uses unlikely and insignificant candidates who are humble and willing to establish His eternal kingdom. God uses those who are unlikely, insignificant, but yet humble and willing to establish His eternal kingdom. Let me pray for us. Father, what a treat it is to be together with your people. What a treat it is to be able to open your word and not rely on my own cleverness or insight. Lord, I pray that you use me this morning as your messenger to to bring your word to your people. Lord, what a sweet time this is in our lives as the people of God, as we celebrate that first advent. And Lord, as we look forward expectantly Uh, for for your return. Would you help us this morning uh, as we look at your word together and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you were here a couple weeks ago in our last Old Testament sermon, Pastor Tim completed for us the book of 1 Samuel. And in that sermon, he contrasted the life of King Saul with that of David. And we saw that the Lord rejected Saul Because he did not fully obey the word of the Lord. But David, on the other hand, he believed in a gigantic God. He was repentant. He demonstrated wholehearted obedience to the word of the Lord. And he rested in the love of God. And if you recall from last time in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, Saul offered a sacrifice. He offered a sacrifice to the Lord, but it was prior to the appointed time. And this sacrifice was unacceptable because he didn't obey fully the word of the Lord. And so we saw that the kingdom then, it doesn't extend through Saul, but instead through David, one whose heart was wholly committed to the Lord. And as Pastor Tim pointed out, David feared the Lord. He obeyed the word of the Lord. Saul, on the other hand, feared man more than he feared God. And this led him to disobey the word of the Lord. I just thought very early on in my sermon this morning for us just to consider how easy is that for us? How easy is it for us to be like Saul and to get focused out here on the horizontal to look and see how others are responding to us and not rest here, not rest in the vertical and what our God thinks about us. Saul became preoccupied with the fact that others were leading him, leaving him. And that led him to disobey the Lord. We too are prone to fear man more than we fear God. We're easily distracted by what others think. And when we do this repeatedly, over and over, we start to think more about what others think about us than what God thinks about us. Security and worth is found in resting in God and God alone. Friend, hear that this morning. Your security, your worth, it's found in God and Him alone, not ultimately what other people think about you. And I know this is extremely difficult, right? I'm not too far 
removed, though some of you may beg to differ, uh, from the high school years. You know, the challenges of just fitting in, finding your place. For me, in junior high and high school, I was still pretty small as far as my stature. I didn't finish growing till college. And at times for me, this, this prompted some insecurities. But I really believe it was my faith, my faith in the Lord that, that was, as He was working in my life in college that led me to become more secure in who I was. Towards the end of college, I sensed Him leading me to counseling and possibly full-time vocational ministry. That summer, I interned at Calvary Baptist and, and met Holly. That's where she and I met. You know, I think she initially may have thought I'd advanced a little far, too far, maybe too far to the extreme of not caring what others think. Because that summer, I can remember, I showed up, my hair was pretty long, and most of the pants I wore were frayed khaki pants. And the other distinguishing characteristic of how I showed up was with my Chuck Taylor, worn Chuck Taylor tennis shoes that I was was pretty proud of. Um, But... Not that professional. Needless to say, there's nothing impossible with God. We made it through that summer. And I think, though this may still be up for a bit of debate as well, I've cleaned up a little bit over the years. But trying to reduce God and exalting the opinion of others, it's something we all find ourselves doing from time to time. That's part of the progressive process of growing in our maturity in Christ. And this is why it's so important regularly being in the Word, being at church, being a part of a church that regularly preaches the Word. It reminds us that God is gigantic, that He deserves wholehearted, full obedience to His Word. And we're to fear Him and not man. As we walk through chapter 7 of 2 Samuel this morning... I want you to consider with me this comparison of the Old Testament to a sort of unique, maybe somewhat awkward art museum. I have to make a confession. I've not been to too many art museums, but I have. I think Joe and Beth, you and I, we went to one together at some point. So I have maybe graced one or two. But if you think about an art museum, what what do you find there? You You find pictures, paintings, maybe statues of those who lived long ago. And the piece of artwork, it often demonstrates a, a, a reflection of that person's character, their strength, something significant about them. And sometimes a piece of art, a work of art, can have multiple meanings, right? There can be a lot going on in what the artist is trying to demonstrate or portray. Well, in the Old Testament, we have these pictures, pictures of biblical characters and their faith and how God worked through them. And they point to something during that time, but they often also point to something in the future, something not yet, something that hasn't yet occurred to someone who has not yet lived. And we're going to look this morning at three pictures we get in this passage that point to something uh, both immediate, but also something not yet, something that is to come. And the first is a picture of King David, a picture of King David one who, who we know was a man after God's own heart. Consider all the Psalms we have penned by David. 
and the beautiful prayers that we see of David in Scripture. In this chapter that we're going to look at this morning, starting in verse 18, after God responds to David, David then just pours out his heart to God. And it's a beautiful prayer. It it demonstrates just his deep intimacy and the communion that he shared with God. David's heart was inclined toward the Lord, towards the Lord and His words. And so we see here not only a picture of David, but a picture of Christ. David points forward to Christ. A man, the God-man, the one who's both fully man and fully God, who too had a heart for God. Christ's sole aim was to please His Father. He was fully committed to the will of the Father. Jesus in John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. And then in Matthew 4.4 there, where Jesus is tempted by Satan, He answers him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. David for the most part, was obedient to the Word of the Lord. Jesus was fully obedient to the Word of God, even to the point of death, death on a cross. In this chapter, we're going to see God makes a promise through David and through His line of of descendants that the kingdom would be established, a kingdom that would have no end. So let's look together now. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. Starting there in verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So we see here, David David experiences this season of rest from his enemies. And his concern is, here he is living in luxury while there remains no permanent place for the presence of the Lord to dwell. And David wants to be the one to build a house for God. And we see here, the Lord speaks to David through the prophet Nathan. Although here, in verse 3... Nathan's word, it's not yet a prophetic word, but instead what seems to him to be best at the time. In essence, he responds to David's desire and says, go ahead, do what what seems in your heart to be good. You know God is with you. But then beginning in verse 4, Nathan receives a word from the Lord that's intended for David. Let's look at verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to David. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought you up. I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? The response we see here from God, it's it's not a strong indictment. But instead, it's a reminder that throughout the exodus, throughout the wilderness wanderings, the obtaining of the promised land, and even during the period of judges, 
God has not needed a house in which to dwell. He, he's been present with the people in the tent. And the ark has remained secure. I think it's just such a helpful reminder for us that our God is a God who comes near to us. He, he longs to dwell uh, with His people. And we see this here. We definitely see it in the incarnation. The God of the universe takes on flesh to dwell among fallen man and ultimately to redeem fallen man. Our God comes close to us. He enters our dilemma and makes it possible for us to draw near to Him. In these first three verses of this chapter, Nathan speaks. He responds to David's desire to build a house. But beginning in verse 4, we see that it is a word from the Lord through Nathan that is spoken to David. And I think this is just a helpful point to point out here. That the word of the Lord that came to David, it was a mediated word. That is, it came through a messenger, namely Nathan. And as believers, as those who live in the already not yet period, that is, Christ has come, the kingdom has come, but it's not come in its fullness But we are those who have the full canon of God's revealed Word. It's been preserved and given to us. And it's important for us to remember that any conversation we have with God is always mediated through the Word of God. In the New Testament, the Word of God is Christ. He is the the very embodiment of the Word and the revealed Scriptures. And when we speak to God, it's mediated through Christ. That is, we pray to God the Father through Christ. And when God speaks to us, it's mediated through the Scriptures. He speaks to us through His revealed Word. Now let's look there at these amazing promises that we get in verses 8 through 17. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the great, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom." He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. 
Nathan's words here, his prophetic words for David, they are profound. He reminds David who he is. That, that he's one that the Lord took from tending the sheep to lead the people of God. He reminds him that whatever enemies he's encountered, God has been with him. And God is the one who's given him the victory. Our God is a God who uses the insignificant and the unlikely to demonstrate His power and strength. Think of Christ's genealogy that we find there in Matthew chapter 1. There's some unlikely candidates, right? There's Rahab, the prostitute, Ruth, the Moabite outsider, and Solomon's very birth, the result of David's sin with Bathsheba. God uses unlikely candidates and demonstrates an extraordinary grace in order to do His will, in order to establish His kingdom. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you're not outside the reaches of His grace. No matter who you are, what you've done, you are not beyond the reaches of God's grace. Second picture. We see the picture of a house. The picture of the temple on the wall being built. And instead of God allowing David to build a house, God promises that He's going to build a house through David and his line of descendants. In essence, God says, I'm going to build you a house. And in so doing, I will build myself a house. So it's this picture of the temple on the wall being built. And the temple becomes the center of the rest of the Old Testament narrative. As it reminds the people that that is where God dwells. He dwells with His people in His house. And this picture, it points forward. Another picture that points forward to the church. The people of God. Not a building, but instead to those upon whom the Spirit of God dwells. God promises He will build David a house. And He's referring to the fact that He's going to build a dynasty through David, David's line of descendants that will include Christ and that will include us, the people of God, the church. God now dwells in us. He dwells in His people. And the third picture we see here is a picture of Solomon. If David is not the one who's going to build a house for God, then the question is who? And the answer is Solomon, his son. Solomon is the one who will build a house for God. We see in verses 12 and 13. And the relationship between God and Solomon, it will resemble that relationship between a son and a father. Sin will lead to discipline for Solomon and his descendants. But, what an amazing promise. The steadfast love, the the Hesed love of God, it's never going to depart from Solomon or any of his descendants as it did from Saul. The dynasty will have no end. What an amazing promise. When I was growing up, the Bulls had a pretty amazing dynasty. Chicago Bulls. I guess that was in the 90s. I was a big Michael Jordan fan. I was you know, really kind of disappointed when he took those two years to try baseball because I think that's when the, the dynasty ended, right? You know, the Celtics are another team. Late 50s, 60s had an amazing dynasty. And here more recent, the Spurs. But all these great dynasties, they came to an end. The promise here is that the dynasty that God is going to build, that He is building through His kingdom, will never come to an end. And then looking forward, this picture of Solomon, it points to Christ. 
It's Christ who will build His church. In Matthew 16, 18, we get this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God promises that He's going to build a kingdom that endures forever. And this text here, it's clearly referring to Solomon and his descendants, but we also clearly see messianic expectations, that is, messianic hope in this passage as well. For 400 years, it's going to be David and his descendants that will occupy the throne. And yet the promise is still fulfilled. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. We gain a glimpse of this hope that's ultimately going to be fulfilled in Christ, promised here in the Davidic covenant. This this chapter is the Davidic covenant. And though we don't explicitly get that language here, Psalm 89 confirms it, that this is the covenant God makes with David. And the New Testament as well supports all the hope, all the expectation we see here in this passage. Christ is the Son of David. He is the Promised One. Matthew 1, 1, Acts 13, 22 and 23. Christ is the One who rises from the dead. Acts 2, 29 through 31. Christ is the Builder of the House for God. John 2, 19 to 22 and Hebrews 3, 3 to 4. Christ is the one who possesses the throne as the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. Hebrews 1.8 He's the Son of God. He's the one born of a virgin. Mark 1.1 Luke 1. Hebrews 4.14 And He is a Son. God is His Father. Hebrews 1.5 And this final one here is my rapid fire through these bullets. But Christ is the one who instead of discipline for personal sin, Christ is the one who experiences the very wrath of God to atone for the sin of all those who believe. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin, the one who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the very righteousness of God. When we celebrate Christmas, brothers and sisters, we celebrate the pictures of the Old Testament coming to life. The promised King has come. And He's come to tabernacle among His people. The Christmas story, it's a story about about God responding to fallen man's need. The need for a Savior. And God fulfills His promise to David in Christ. And it continues on. It continues on to all those who by faith receive the blessings of the new covenant. Receiving this gift, it means repenting and believing. It means turning from your sin and turning to Christ and trusting in Him and Him alone for salvation. God ordained before time began that He would build His kingdom through His Son and through followers of His Son. The promises of 2 Samuel chapter 7, they extend to all those who are in Christ. What an amazing promise that His love is never going to depart from us If you're here this morning, you're overwhelmed with a sense of guilt, maybe shame. There's hope in Christ. If you are His, He is not going to let you go. His faithful, unchanging, unending love, it will not depart from you. You can rest. You can rest in what He accomplished for you on the cross. In our relationship with God, we're always the recipients, right? We're always the receivers of His good gifts, of His grace. Even our very obedience is a gift from God. 
Everything we have is from God to us. Oh, the rest, the worth, the security of knowing you're His, that you're loved, and that cannot be taken from you, child of God. And as if that is not enough, we also see here the promise that His kingdom is eternal. What we are experiencing now is such a blink in the scope of all eternity. The pain, the discomforts, the loss, the trials, they will not endure. Christ has come. He is coming again. His kingdom is forever. I was encouraged this week. I was able to spend some time over lunch on Wendy. Wendy. <laughs> thinking of Wendy. I'm going to get to Wendy. On Wednesday with the companions group as they had their, I guess, traditional Christmas party, traditional white elephant, dirty Santa, whatever you want to call it. As I was there, I had a great time. They weren't a very dirty group. I don't think there was much stealing at all going on as they opened the various gifts. And I didn't do that bad. I came home with a heating pad, a little stuffed animal for Corbin, and then Miss Wendy was oh so kind and gave us what what Keen and I and I named Squall. Squall is a little squirrel on a ball. Any of you seen this? Squirrel on a ball, you kick it, throw it a little, and it just takes off. If any of you need last minute Christmas gifts, it's probably a fairly inexpensive gift. I'd recommend it, especially if you have little ones. So we had quite a time playing with that. But you know, more than the laughter and fun I had with them as I was, you know, maybe later on that afternoon or the next day, I reflected on just the love, the joy, the hope, the peace that was present. I'm sure, I know, some present were in pain. Some present have family members really struggling. And it was almost as if there wasn't denial of all that was going on, but all that was in the background. But in the foreground, in the present, was hope, love, and peace, and joy. And I just thought that's such a picture of our current state. Brothers and sisters, that's that's where we live. There is such brokenness and pain and hurt all around us. And yet we're those who don't have to despair. We celebrate the first advent and we await the second. We await an eternal kingdom. God desires, He wants to build His kingdom through you and through me. He wants to start right here in our Jerusalem and in our Judea, expand to our Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And the reality is for any son of daughter, son or daughter who's here this morning and is in Christ, you are an unlikely insignificant candidate. I'm an unlikely insignificant candidate. But we serve an amazing God who can and wants to do amazing things through us. There are key questions we have to ask ourselves. Are we humble? Are we humble? Are we willing? Do we see ourselves as insignificant so that He can do significant work through us? Do we fear God more than we fear man? And are we willing to share this amazing story, this amazing good news to family, friends, neighbors that we know need the hope, the peace, the joy, the love that can only be found in Christ? I'm I'm so excited as January comes and we as a church embark on 
getting out, opening up our homes, hosting these Christianity Explored Bible studies throughout Wahlberg, South Winston, North Davidson and beyond. And the question is, are, are we willing? Are we just willing to open up our homes and love our neighbors and say, come, I want to get to know you. I want to share the message of Christianity. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, you are an unlikely candidate that has been extended amazing and extravagant grace in Christ. And in your weakness, in your very unlikely status is exactly how God wants to use you. At Christmas, we are reminded God uses the insignificant and the unlikely to establish His eternal kingdom. We see here in this chapter, God responds to David and then David responds to God. In verse 18, David responds with humility, gratitude, and a willingness to surrender his will to God's will. I'll read just a few verses here, picking up in 18. Then King David went in, he sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? You are great, O Lord God. There is none like you, and there is no God besides you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words, they are true. We see here, David demonstrates the appropriate response of faith. He acknowledges that that God is God, and He can do whatever He pleases, and His words are true. Friends, God has responded to our sin dilemma. He has fulfilled the promise He made to send His Son into the world. Not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. What is your response to the grace of God in Christ? Have you received Him? If we fail to receive Christ, Christmas is meaningless. Yeah, sure, there's the lights, there's the trees, the gifts, but there's nothing that lasts. Without Christ, there is no real hope, joy, peace, and love. There is no kingdom that endures forever. Oh, that you might receive Him today. Oh, that you might stop holding on to anything temporal that you think you can't let go of. Oh, that you would surrender and trust and finally rest Rest in the love of God. A way has been made for you to be grafted into the family of God. Oh, would you receive Him today? Let's pray.